Okay, we're going to get started. Does everybody have my notes? Everybody else have my notes? I, I gave you some notes to help you not have to take so many. Uh, not that you would really take any notes anyway, but uh, anyway, we'll refer to them. A lot of what Corey said, you know, it's it's almost like we were studying on the same pace in some uh, in some areas. So you'll hear some replication here. Okay, let's open up with prayer. Father, we come before you now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I think that we're all desiring to improve our prayer life and to improve our relationship with you. So, Father, I pray that this time that we spend would be effective for those means and that you would help us in this matter of individual secret prayer. We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we we heard some thoughts from Corey on the purpose of prayer in the life of the Christian. And and we want to let some of those thoughts kind of flow right into our practices of prayer. So with our time, we're going to examine individual prayer. We're going to call it prayer in secret. And then we're going to discuss silence and solitude. Okay? Let me give you some notes so you have fewer notes to take. Uh, So so that's kind of our plan. Let, Let me ask you this. What are some common prayer practices you can think of for Christians? Not talking about, you know, Buddhist life. Okay, first thing in the morning. Before meals. Before meals. Called saying grace. grace. First thing in the morning. At night. At night bedtime prayers. Very good. You know, when I was little, we had something called school prayer. Y'all may not know about that. Uh, what about invocations or opening prayers? That's a common prayer type. Invocation of a prayer. I took notes for you. What else? What can you think of? Breath prayer. Say it again. Breath prayer. Breath prayer. Like just something you can say in one breath. Ah, Nehemiah 2.4. Nehemiah is going before the king, and he goes, Oh, Lord, I need help. Breath prayer. Nehemiah 2.4 prayer. What else? How about congregational prayer during worship? That's a kind of prayer. Wednesday night prayer. Prayer groups. Sunday night prayer service. These are different kinds of practices of prayer. We want to think about individual prayer. Have you called it quiet time before? Prayer in secret? You know, that last category we want to focus on. Um, you know, Corey and I must be studying the exact same stuff. Uh, so you're going to hear some of the same authors. When we look at this topic in the life of a Christian, it, that's key. This prayer in the life of a Christian. Joel Beakey calls prayer that which God produces by His grace in those who believe in His gospel so that they call upon His name. And if we were to adopt that definition, in a certain sense, we can say that God causes the believer 
to have the desire and the action of prayer to Him. He places His Spirit in His adopted ones who then naturally cry out to Him. Look at your first scripture, Romans 8.15. For you did not receive, it's on the list here, you don't even have to turn it. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Look at the second one. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And then Beaky writes something that's kind of a warning, kind of shook me up a little bit. He says, what is the condition of your prayer life? Perhaps you've never experienced a powerful prayer life. You may repeat words of prayer in a religious meeting or over a meal. You may cry out to God for some pressing need, but never possess the spirit of prayer. Does your soul ever pant after God in Christ? And then he writes this, If not, you're still dead in your sins. You must cry out to God, begging Him to make you alive in Christ. You must look to the Lord for salvation. You know, even as I pasted that thought into this presentation, I hesitated. I said, this is serious. In my individual prayer life, my private in secret prayer life, well, let's, let's, I'll be generous and say it could use some improvement. Okay? There's a little book that you were given when you checked in. It's called by J.C. Ryle. It's called Do You Pray? Uh, J.C. Ryle, I don't know if you guys know a lot about him, 1800s. Uh, the, the thing that strikes me so about J.C. Ryle is what he writes about in the mid to late 1800s could define our culture just like it defined his culture. And anyway, he writes this, I ask again whether you pray because a habit of prayer is one of the surest marks of a true Christian. All the children of God on earth are alike in this respect. From the moment there's any life and reality about their religion, they pray. Just as the first sign of life in an infant when born into the world is the act of breathing, so the first act of men and women when they are born again is praying. This is one of the common marks of all the elect of God. They cry unto him day and night. The Holy Spirit who makes them new creatures works in them, works in them the feeling of adoption and makes them cry, Romans 8.15, Abba, Father. The Lord Jesus, when he quickens them, gives them a voice and a tongue and says to them, be dumb or mute no more. God has no dumb or mute children. It is as much a part of their new nature to pray as it is of a child to cry. They cannot do otherwise than they do. They must pray. So let's ask ourselves, do we ever feel this compulsion to pray that Ryle describes? Do we exclaim, man, I I just have got to pray. How important is our prayer life? I mean, look, 
compared to repentance and belief, how important is it that we pray? Is individual private prayer really that necessary? I mean, don't we pray in worship services? Don't we pray in times of congregational prayer? Doesn't the pastoral prayer lift us all up before the throne of God? Yes, that's all true. Yes, we're weary. Yes, we're busy. Yes, we're distracted with many obligations. But as Corey was talking about, and, and Calvin called our attention to, Calvin called prayer the chief exercise of faith. That's pretty important. So if Joel Beakey's right, if J.C. Ryle is right, if Calvin is right, if the scriptures are right, then prayer is a primary way true faith expresses itself, and we've got to be concerned with it. So at this point, maybe your reaction gets a little bit like mine. Oh, help me, Lord. I'm plagued with faithlessness. Increase my faith. Well, that's a great prayer, isn't it? Well, then, you know, I want to start you out with some biblical encouragement in this area of secret prayer. And then we're going to talk about why prayer is necessary, and we're going to talk about that more. Maybe too much. Then we'll look at how to go about starting and continuing in secret prayer, some practical steps, and I'm going to get some of your feedback. Finally, we're going to look at silence and solitude with respect to prayer and just with respect to silence and solitude the benefit of them in themselves, okay? Um, In your handout, I gave you, don't read it right now, but there's a a very brief article entitled Watchfulness in Prayer. It's by a guy named James McGill. You know, I found it on the back cover of an old copy of J.C. Ryle's book on prayer. Um, You'll see every generation struggles in this matter of being obedient to God in prayer. For some biblical encouragement, though, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. You should have that scripture beginning in verse 12. And let's take this apart just a little bit. Philippians 2 verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, there's a relationship right there that Paul is talking about with those whom he loves, his church that the Spirit loves the church. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So the first part of this talks about the fact we must be about doing some working out of our salvation. But the second part is so encouraging. Verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Hey, good news. God is working in the Christian to bring us into obedience in this matter of prayer. So our obedience in his part, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, but that work is to be accomplished with confidence and with faith in God as he is working in us to do his will. It's kind of like saying, hey, let's get to work on salvation. Uh, But why? Well, because God is at work in us. He is working on our will. 
He's working on our desires. He's working on our actions. Let's participate. Let's get to work on this prayer. We pray because God has put it into us. And Paul's already reminded us he prays for the Christians uh, in Philippi, and by extension, all Christians. In Philippians 1.6, he writes, and I'm, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So let's just trust the Lord in this matter, and we'll get to work on our individual prayer on our secret prayer, right? All right, so remember I warned you that I might look at how necessary prayer is too much. Um, You know, our our culture swamped with distraction, and and I'm the worst person to be distracted. Our culture's full of noise and clamor, the public arena, misdirection, deceit. The devil is actually at work in directing the course of this world and producing evil in the sons of disobedience. And so we need some help in just bringing home the necessity of this prayer. I went to the Heidelberg Catechism. Heidelberg Catechism. I think I've got the question and the answer in your handout. Question 116, why is prayer necessary for David? I mean, for Christians. Sorry, David. Um, Answer. Because it is, it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us. And also because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of him and are thankful for them. I think this is kind of key. He gives his grace and his Holy Spirit to those who do what? What do they do? Say it again, Mark. They ask. How hard is that? Why is it that we struggle sometimes with that so much? He gives to those that ask. Prayer is an expression of thankfulness. It's seen as required. Okay? It's necessary. It will reap blessing. Psalm 50, verse 14 says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Give thanks, that's prayer. Perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God gives to those who ask of him in prayer. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks to the one who knocks it will be open. Luke eleven nine. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. If you then, verse thirteen, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give? the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, his grace and the Holy Spirit. Can we trust God to keep his promises? 1 John 5, and this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, 
And whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Psalm 143, verse 1, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. God has promised to be faithful. He has promised his grace. He's promised his Holy Spirit to those who pray. Ephesians 3.14 that we opened up with. (coughs) Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14. God's promises in this matter, put him to the test. Pray and see what happens, right? Um, Now, don't hear me saying that exactly the item I pray for I'll get, right? Because I'll pray for a big diesel-powered, four-wheel drive, pickup truck, 2024 model, right? And when I don't get that, that doesn't mean what? That the Lord said, no, not you, Dennis. Oh, you must not be a Christian. I didn't get you a truck. But the scriptures say that God will give blessings to those who pray. And he says he'll give his Holy Spirit and grace, okay? What is grace? I know it's unmerited favor. But we tend to think about grace in this small little container. We shove it in this little small area. We, we pin it up. God has promised his grace and his Holy Spirit to those that pray. If we stop and consider grace, you know, that should provide motivation for our obedience in this matter of prayer. In writing about grace, David Mathis says, the grace of God is on the loose. Contrary to our expectations, counter to our assumptions, frustrating our judicial sentiments, mocking our craving for control, the grace of God is turning the world upside down. God is shamelessly pouring out his lavish favor on undeserving sinners of all stripes and thoroughly stripping away our self-sufficiency. That's a great definition of grace. He goes on to describe God's grace as wild and free, untamed, invading our human space, breaking into the lives of believers, flooding our futures. He calls on us to put ourselves in the path of God's grace. Have you thought about that before? How How would you do that? That's what we do in prayer. In individual prayer. The regular channels of God's grace are clustered underneath three main areas, right? Hearing God, that's the word. Having God's ear, like Corey talked about, that's prayer. And belonging to his body. Here we are in fellowship. Simply word, prayer, and fellowship. We're called to pray. We have God's ear. Will we not now use this privilege in expressing our thankfulness to God for his grace? And will we not now make known to our God those needs, those issues of life that can overwhelm us at times? You know, the apostles thought prayer was necessary. Uh, In Acts 1.14, we see, in Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus taken up from them after 40 days, and many convincing proofs. And then Jesus orders them, hey, go to the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit. 
wait, Jesus, you just left. The Romans killed you. All of this stuff is going on. And you want me to do what? Go and wait? So what did they do? Look at Act 1.14. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They spent their time waiting on the Lord in prayer. Paul thought prayer was necessary. He instructed the churches in the New Testament many places to pray. Romans 12, 12, you should have that. We see prayer called for in relation to loving the brethren. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2, Christians are generally instructed to pray. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And 1 Thessalonians 5.17, I think we already looked at that. The church is instructed to pray. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I love those places in Scripture where it stops and says, and this is the will of God. Prayer is the will of God for each of us. So now... We're exhorted. You feel exhorted? You should feel exhorted that your individual secret prayer is a matter connected with your, with your salvation, with your relationship with the Lord. It's supplied by God through the Spirit. It is necessary for obedience. It's filled with the promise of blessings for those who pray. In the booklet Corey talked about, Enjoying Your Prayer Life, speaking mainly to pastors, but applicable to all Christians, Michael Reeves remarks, I know how easily the importance and the urgency of what they, what pastors do, can ironically collapse into self-sufficient busyness, causing them to be a bunch of Marthas. You remember that section of, Luke that talked about Mary and Martha. Martha was preparing everything, and Mary was just sitting there, right? I know how that can cause them to be a bunch of Martha. So as they groom themselves to be successes at Christian life and mission, there's a vacuum when it comes to their actual communion with God. And he writes, Now I stress strongly that I'm speaking as one failure to another. Well, we've already granted at the outset that the practice of private prayer is an area where maybe, maybe all of us or many of us can improve. So we want to reinforce that priority with some suggestions to kickstart secret prayer. And in that process, looking at suggestions, we should be able to define secret prayer. Okay? So... I've put those in your uh, handout. You can see them there. By the way, where did the notion of secret prayer come from? It's a secret. Sorry, I couldn't help. It's a, a gene of stand-up comedy in me. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And this is Jesus speaking. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, 
they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Maybe in your version, you've got, I think the King James has got the word closet for room. Have you ever had someone praise your public prayer? You know, one time several years ago, someone came up to me and said, I really like the way you pray. What's the danger there? What's the danger? It's about you. It's about me, right? And surely you've thought about what others might think of your public prayer, either good or bad, and that has perhaps led some to tailor their prayer towards the approval of listeners, or maybe go the other direction, decide not to pray in public at all out of fear of being criticized. The issue is one of heart motivation. Are we sometimes more concerned with what our listeners think in public prayer, either good or bad, than our communication with God? Listen to this. It's a tough line to walk because we must pray with others in church and in our homes and elsewhere. And public prayer should take into account that others are listening. It should have others in mind. But the danger lurks of sidelining God and shifting our focus to make ourselves look impressive. I want them to think I'm a good prayer. But closet prayer, secret prayer, individual prayer offers a test of authenticity, and that can rub off to your public praying. So secret prayer is important. What if we called it our test of our true devotion to God? Who has ever really had a loved one and and had an opportunity to speak to them and preferred to just go do something frivolous in exchange? It doesn't make sense, does it? In, in writing on this section, in commenting on this section of Matthew chapter 6, uh, two commentators, we're going to look at D.A. Carson and Tim Keller. D.A. Carson writes first, Jesus assumes his disciples will pray, but he forbids the prayer of hypocrites. It's the motive that is crucial to be seen by men. The public versus private antithesis is a good test of one's motives. The person who prays more in public than in private reveals he is less interested in God's approval than in human praise. Not piety, but a reputation for piety may be his concern. Far better to deal radically with this hypocrisy and pray in a private room. Now put parentheses around room. Tim Keller commented by saying the infallible test of spiritual integrity Jesus says, is your private prayer life. Many people will pray when they're required by cultural or social expectations or perhaps by the anxiety caused by troubling circumstances. Those with a genuinely lived relationship with God as Father will inwardly want to pray and therefore will pray even though nothing on the outside is necessarily pressing them to do so. They pursue it even when they're in times of spiritual dryness, even if there's not a social payoff. So private prayer shows in a certain way who we really are spiritually. 
It's essential in healing the many places we find ourselves broken, needy, lacking, and rebellious. I've got an article in Table Talk magazine that we may come back to on this notion of private prayer. But let's get into some suggestions for private prayer. Maybe I'm working to convince my own self of the urgency of secret prayer. And if that's the case, I can tell you, and I wrote this, as I write this, it's working. As promised, let's get practical. Let's develop some steps to take in conducting our secret prayer. You'll see these as good ideas to help us as we seek to be obedient with also, and it's okay to have an eye to reap the rewards that God promises. He promises his grace and his Holy Spirit. Christian, do you want to change in your life through God's Spirit, which comes through prayer? All right, so suggestion one, create your closet. But don't hang your clothes there. No, you can go in your closet, right? Jesus said, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. So your room needs to be what? Needs to be useful, right? If you go in your closet and you turn the light on, it's just this real tiny bulb. That's not going to be very useful for your prayer, is it? It needs to be a spot that is useful in praying regularly. That word in Matthew 6, room, it can refer to a storeroom or some kind of inner room or even a bedroom. So your closet, you could actually pray in in your closet. It it can also be at your desk. It can be at an outdoor table. And as you'll see in a moment, it should have some light for our Bible reading as part of our secret prayer. Regarding one's posture in prayer, Corey just briefly touched on that. Can your, your posture have to be something? Do I have to kneel? No, it can be varied. What do we see in the Bible? What posture do people take in the Bible when they pray? Some stand. Some are prostrate. Do you know what that is? Yeah, face down. huh? Some sit. Some kneel. What about their hands? Well, we see hands lifted, but don't we also see hands clenched, beating their breasts? Maybe some wisdom is worthwhile here when you think about selecting your spot in your posture. I mean, if I select, I'm going to lay on my back in bed and pray. What do you think is going to happen? I won't pray too long, will I? I'll be asleep in a moment, right? So whatever you pick, it should end up being a good spot that you regularly go to. For me, it needs to be near the coffee pot. I don't want to fall asleep, okay? Create your closet, all right? Suggestion two, begin with the Bible. We want to begin with a prayerful reading of God's Word. Why? Because that's how God communicates to us. That's how God reveals Himself to us in our lives. We can pick longer or shorter passages of Scripture. We can plan a whole year of Bible reading and secret prayer, 
Or we can do something different. Writing about George Mueller's prayer life, you remember who George Mueller was? I don't know if y'all know much about George. He was relied on the Lord pretty much for everything. He opened orphanages. and um, But writing about George Mueller's prayer life, Andrew Murray said this, We have more than once seen that God's listening to our voice depends on our listening to his voice. God listening to our voice depends on our listening to his voice. We must not only have a special promise to plead from the Bible when we make a special request, but our whole life must be under the supremacy of the word. The word must be dwelling in us. Um, George Mueller tells us how the discovery of the true place of the word of God and the teaching of the Holy Spirit just created a new time in his spiritual life. He writes this, And as I neglected the word, I was for nearly four years so ignorant that I did not clearly know even the fundamental points of our holy faith. And this lack of knowledge most sadly kept me back from walking steadily in the ways of God. For when it pleased the Lord in August 1829, to bring me really to the scriptures, my life and walk became very different. So, suggestion one, create your closet. Suggestion two, in your prayer life, begin with the Bible. Make sense so far? Anybody mad? I'm not doing very good. No, I'm teasing. Suggestion three, adore, confess, thank, ask. So I've got my spot, and I've got my Bible. I've decided on some kind of plan of reading. I've begun my reading and meditating on the Word, and now I need to enter into some kind of structured time of prayer. Using a structure for prayer like Acts will help direct my thoughts in prayer. And you guys know what that stands for, right? Tell us, Rusty. A is adoration. C is confession. T is thanksgiving. And the S is asking, supplication. Very good. So this formula is like, it's probably familiar to many of you. Begin with God himself, with adoration. After reading and thinking deeply on the Bible passage that you're dealing with, adore God with praise. God is worthy. And then proceed to the sea. Confess your sins before the Lord. Look, you can be honest. You are in secret with your heavenly Father. You don't have to hide anything. As we know from 1 John 8, 9, if we, 1 John, 1 John 1, verses 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we move on to the T. We give thanks. Why? Well, he's drawn us to pray in secret. He's given us that urge. Thank you for his grace that is on the loose. Thanks for the mercy. And finally, the S, supplication or or simply asking. Bring your petitions before the Lord boldly. Your requests for yourself. 
for, for the brethren, for your family, for your leaders, your spouses, for others. So, suggestion three, adore, confess, thank, ask. Suggestion four, divulge your desires and develop them. From a time of structured prayer, the author of Habits of Grace recommends next the time of free prayer. That is, a time of praying our hearts. Gentlemen, we won't be as good at this as the ladies. A time of praying our emotions. What burdens us? What worries us? What doesn't worry us, but probably should? What we struggle with in our own circumstances? What we need help with? in our weak flesh. In this time of private prayer, we ought to be completely honest with God. We remember the words of God's promise in Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And also in this time of prayer, in this time we we pray for the developing of our desires, for the redirection to the things of God and away from the things of the world. We pray for clarity. We pray for wisdom. Some of us need to pray for patience, for gratefulness, for the removal of greed and the replacement of it with contentment. We pray the Bible, like Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that our prayers may bring love that may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, fourth suggestion is develop your desires. Divulge them. Let the Lord know them and develop them. And then finally, keep it fresh. Final suggestion, keep it fresh. Don't get stuck in a rut. Consider periodic change. Look, new ideas will come. New passages of Scripture will grab our attention in our hearts, and new ways of thinking will emerge. You might consider writing your prayers out. Uh, that'll, That'll slow you down. You might consider fasting for a season. Uh... And, and look, fasting doesn't have to be, I ain't eating nothing for 48 hours. It can be, I'm not going to eat breakfast, right? Um, we can consider a time of silence or, or, or prayer in a place of solitude. Let's look at that idea next of silence and solitude. It, but before we move on, any questions here about our suggestions? Um David. I don't have a question, but you brought up the kind of the feminine part of emotions. Desires. Mm-hmm. I like the word motives. Yeah, it's, motives it's a great a word. Yeah. Just a synonym. Yeah. So that's 
it's the same thing, but what are we motivated by? What are we yes. thinking about? What are we dwelling yes. on? Yes. In addition to just desires. So. And the word I use was emotions. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes um, guys will say, oh, I ain't bothered by nothing. Right? When really, if I thought about it, maybe I am bothered by something. So, anyway, thank you, David. Um, others, create your closet. Get your room. Begin with the Bible. Structured prayer, recommended acts. Unstructured prayer. David was talking about the unstructured prayer time. Pray for the developing of godly desires and keeping it fresh. We good there? Questions, comments? Okay, silence and solitude. Um, we haven't really touched on an atmosphere of prayer. That is, what are the surroundings as we pray? Let me ask you, are your lives filled with clamor? Let me meddle a moment and ask each of us to consider our screen time. That's a word I never had growing up. Our social media time, entertainment, news junkie kind of stuff. How do we quiet our minds and our souls to be able to discern God's working in and around us? You know, the Bible tells us in many places to watch for God's working. But it's hard to do with clamor. David Mathis writes, We are humans, not machines. We were made for rhythms of silence and noise, community and solitude. It is unhealthy to always have people around and unhealthy to rarely want them. God made us for cycles and seasons, for routine and cadences. So we raised the family of three homeschooled children, two dogs, three cats, fish, other assorted critters. Our home was noisy and sometimes crowded. Compound that with some of us who had a love of Star Wars, Star Trek, Stargate, you get the picture, right? And our brood was minor compared to some families in this church and in our circles of friends. To say we were and are often distracted is at best an understatement. You know, I think we all have a theoretical conception of what silence and solitude is. But for some of us, we might not have a lot of actual experience, at least at this stage of our life. Donald Whitney brings an excellent definition of silence and solitude, and he calls them twin disciplines. The discipline of silence is the voluntary and temporary abstention, abstaining from speaking so that certain spiritual goals might be sought. Sometimes silence is observed in order to read the Bible, meditate on scripture, pray, journal, and so on. Solitude is the spiritual discipline of voluntarily and temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. A period of solitude may last only a few minutes or for days. As with silence, solitude may be sought in order to participate without interruption 
in other spiritual disciplines like prayer or just to be alone with God and think. So, quickly, is there any biblical warrant for these disciplines? Look at Matthew 4.1. And Corey already went over some of these. Matthew 4.1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So when faced with temptation and trial, God thought it best to surround his son with fasting and solitude in the desert. Matthew 14.23, After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So Jesus, after hearing of the death of Jesus's earthly cousin, John the Baptist, and then after feeding the crowds and dealing with that clamor, he sought solitude on the mountain, and he probably sought some silence too. Mark one thirty-five, and rising very early in the morning, that's hard. I tried that. That's hard to do. Praise the Lord if you're able to do that routinely. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So this was after an episode of healing of a multitude of people. Many were oppressed by demons, and before another bout of healing was to come, Jesus got up early before anyone else and sought solitude and silence. And when it was day, Luke 4.42, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and, and would have kept him from leaving them. He goes into the desolate place to get rid of them and get away from them. So, author Donald Whitney lists reasons for seeking times of prayer and solitude. And we're not going to go over all those reasons. I'm going to read some, just let you think about it. Okay, we're almost done. Why would we want to seek times of prayer and solitude, silence? To express worship to God. To express faith in God. To seek the salvation of the Lord. To be physically, to be spiritually restored. To regain a spiritual perspective. Maybe to seek the will of God in a matter. Or to learn control of the tongue. In the case of, you know, that last one helps me when I don't talk. I've got great control of my tongue. In the case of silence, we might want to include abstaining from as much noise as possible along with less speaking. You know, I routinely have noise. Uh, Podcasts, the radios. CDs, DVDs, streaming recordings, sermon audio, music, the Astros, something. When I'm, when I'm mowing, when I'm driving, when I'm doing chores. And on occasion, I even catch myself just turning it on and not really listening to what's playing. I got to go start it up again. I just put the noise on. Um, you know, that's when I don't turn it on and I start that activity, it's way different. So look, here's some practical steps, and we'll close with practical steps to implement this discipline in our lives. One, minute retreats. Think about this. If you're like me, and if I just described you, uh, the constant noise you subject yourself to, the idea of a minute retreat can be really helpful. Rather than reaching for the noise, accept the quiet. 
Consider the Lord our Savior who is at the right hand of God during that time. Take some time to thank God for His grace. Turn the routine time in your life into the holy time in your life through silence and eliminating the noise and maybe even uh, some, um, some solitude. Redeem some of the time. Concentrate on God's goodness, the work of Christ. End your time with noise. Like singing, all I have is Christ. Two, develop a daily time of silence and solitude in secret prayer. We talked about that. It may start small, but it could grow. You may start with three minutes, four minutes, but it can grow. Get away for some silence and solitude. Go to a desolate place that's safe. Okay, uh, go to the coast early one morning, go to the woods, the pasture, or, or just go to a room, go to the bathroom, lock the door, get away from the clamor. You know, if it's going to be a long trip, make a schedule and include times of prayer, seeking God's will, interceding, maybe planning for the future. Take your Bible, take a notebook to write in, uh, Write down some insights that the Lord reveals through his word. Find a special place. It can be simple as your backyard for a few moments. It can be as complicated as maybe the Rocky Mountains for a week. These should be spots where you'll be energized to pray and not be afraid of too much interruption. Bible point. Um, Trade off daily responsibilities. Here's a tough one. I, I know I can hear people saying, I've got so much to do. How do I get away for even five minutes? Well, maybe you can find help. If you need, throughout the day, someone to help you shoulder those burdens of life. So maybe husbands can relieve their wives when husbands aren't working. Maybe grandparents can help parents of the grandchildren. I know this is easier said than done. And then finally, uh, Beware of the dangers, okay? I think there's a final point. We have to remember these disciplines are meant to be of silence and solitude. are meant to be practiced for a limited amount of time. We were designed more for speaking and singing and noise and community than for silence and solitude. But practicing silence and solitude can sometimes restore some normalcy to our busy lives. They're never meant to dominate it. Uh, We're not meant to be hermits. And like fasting, they're only meant for a very short season. Okay, that's individual prayer, silence, and solitude. And you've got some notes, you've got some scriptures. We just barely brushed the the top of it. Uh, We just looked at it real lightly, but hopefully I've encouraged you. I've encouraged myself. So um, maybe the Lord was just after that more than anything else. Do you have any comments that you want to make before we close? You know, we're running up against time here. Okay. Father, we uh, thank you for this time. We thank you for this exhortation or maybe just this reminding of our prayer lives and uh, the notions of silence and and solitude. And uh, Father, we just pray that as we maybe begin to do this more, that it would be for your glory, that you would send us your spirit and give us your grace and that that would be palatable 
Is that a word? Palatable? That we would see that, that we would know that in our lives. We do pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.